So we are sharing with you this morning something that I believe is very, very important. But before we get into that, I want you to turn to the person next to you and, and say, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? Now, look to the other opposite of who you were talking with and look them directly in the eye and say or ask, have you lost your mind? Yeah. Where we're going this morning with this is, has been precipitated by a lot of things that have been happening in the news and around our world and in our community. And if you listen to the news and read the paper and talk to people, we are talking about tornadoes and we're talking about hurricanes and floods and we're talking about wars and we're talking about uh, the injustice with children, and we're talking about all of these things that are happening in our world. And sometimes we get to the place where we say, something has got to change. But we never think about changing our mind. And so with the title this morning, Your Mind, Change It or Lose It. And when we go through Scripture, we look at several people, and, and, and there's about 15 sermons in, in, in this whole thing that I'm sharing with you this morning. But we look at people, people like Cain. We would have to say to Cain, Cain, what in the world were you thinking? Killing your brother. Even though you were not happy, being number two is not so bad especially when there's no one else behind you and you had all of the great things of life and what were you thinking? And then we look at a guy by the name of Moses and the reason I point these things out is because this is really not a, an intergenerational thing. It's not the, the, the young thinking the old are too old and the older thinking the young are too young. It's cross-generational. So we look at Moses, and when God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to strike the rock and bring water for the people. And Moses struck the rock, and he brought water for the people. And then the second time, God said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. And Moses, because the people were murmuring, complaining, and Moses, he's got this thing, and he said, you know what? I'm going to strike that sucker again. And he gets out the staff, and bang, he strikes it again. And God says, Moses, because you disobeyed me, you're not going to make it into Canaan. You can't enter Canaan. So we'd have to say to Moses, Moses, what were you thinking? And then Gideon with his 32,000 men, and he assimilates an army to go against the Midianites. And then he says, by the way, guys, any of you that don't want to fight, you can go home now. 22,000 left. See, there's a lot of people that want to hang on, but there's very few people that want to fight. So he gets down to the 10,000, and then he runs them through a test, and 9,700 of them go home, and he's only left with 300. But the story of Gideon is that a few with God makes a majority. So what were they thinking when they packed up and left? Then the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau, we have to say, Esau, you had to be out of your mind. You had to be out of your ever-loving mind to trade your birthright, to trade your inheritance, to trade your future 
for a bowl of soup. You had to be out of your mind. And all the way through Scripture, we find people like that, and then we fast forward to today, and here we are, just us, talking about it's your mind. Either change it or lose it. Now, the Apostle Paul, in in his letter to the Philippians, when he began the letter, he said that he was talking about how much he loved them and he appreciated them and he was thankful for them. But in verse 8 and 9, there's an exhortation. He's exhorting them because he's telling them, here's some things that you need to think about. And this this is what it reads. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, 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 think about such things. Probably if we, when he he goes, he said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The thing about changing our mind, friends, is that it becomes our responsibility. It would be great if God would just take his magic wand and put up over our heads and everything would change, but it's our responsibility. You see, when we look at life, there are four metaphors that describe life. One is journey. You hear us talk about that a lot, journey. We're on a journey together. The second one is pilgrimage. We understand, and I know this is rather morbid, but it's the truth. When we are born, we begin to die. Now, it may be 80, 90, or 100 years later, but when we are born, we begin to die because we are just passing through this thing we call life. It's a pilgrimage. Then the metaphor of race, we're running a race, and the Apostle Paul says that lay aside every weight that that is holding you back and run this race, and we're in a race of life. And then the metaphor of battle. And I have to tell you this morning that even the atrocities that we have witnessed in some of you men and women have been on the front lines of battle in serving your country and protecting our freedom. In all of the history books that we read about the thousands and multiple thousands of people who have given their life, I want to say to you this morning, the greatest battle that you and I will ever face is in our mind. The battle of the mind. See, basically the mind is consisting of of two interactive parts. We call it the conscious. The conscious mind is also connected with the sensory nervous system, and the conscious mind is things that we are aware of here and now. The conscious mind is something that, if unknowingly or inadvertently, you place your hand on a hot stovetop. And the minute you place your hand on a hot stovetop, the pain that goes through the nerves of your fingers shoots up to your brain control center and you begin to scream. And then after it's all taken care of and it all feels better, your brain has a conversation with your mind and says, don't do that again. 
See, we have a mind that, that is part of it is our conscious mind, but then also the other part is the subconscious. And, and I'm not trying to, to go into great detail with this, but I, I really sense that God is wanting to help us to understand <clears throat> why we have a problem changing our mind. The subconscious part of our mind is our warehouse. Everything that has ever happened to us, every life experience, every good or bad situation we have experienced is stored in our warehouse. Now, so if you keep that as a point of reference and follow and track with me through the message this morning, we're going to see, because there is good news, and in just a moment, we're going to help you to see how that if you're here today as a believer, you have the mind of Christ in you right now. You say, well, I know a lot of people that's believers. They sure don't act like it. Well, I understand that. But here's the thing. We live in a mind that has been conditioned by our parents. A mind that has been conditioned by education. A mind that has been conditioned by church, by church, a mind that has been conditioned by church. If you are with us today and perhaps you have a different background than, than what you are familiar with here at Erie First Assembly, you grew up being conditioned by the church that you were raised in. And whether it is Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or Lutheran or, or whatever that is, you have been conditioned by and trained by that church that you grew up in. Our mind has been conditioned by our family and by our friends, by social media. So if we live in a mind that has been influenced, that has been conditioned by past or present influences. The only way we can recondition or renew our mind is to change how we think. Change how we think. I remember thinking it would be pretty neat to read people's minds. Wouldn't it be great? Just, just, just read, Jeff, Jeff, I get nothing. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great, and I've thought about, wouldn't it be great to be able to read people's minds? And then I got a Facebook account and got over it. So how do we deal with this? And the reason that this is heavy on my heart and, and the conviction that I have today is that I believe that if we're going to do what God has called us to do, if we're going to do what God is mandated for us to do, it's going to require us to change how we think. You say, well, how long does that take? I don't know. I'm soon to be 68, and I'm still working on it. 
But I, I don't say this in a prideful way, but I say this hopefully in a, in, in a sense of humility that, that I, I pray God allow me to change, help me to change my thinking. Because I understand that we live in a different world that I lived in when I was growing up in church. We live in a different culture. They tell us that our culture changes every three years. So just uh, can you imagine how frustrating that is for pastor and, and as we put together what we believe God's wanting to do and every three years something changes. And, and you say, well, you just, you just, no, we're not allowing the culture to influence the church, but we have to change our way of thinking in order to minister to the culture that we're in. So, what are some of the barriers? What, what are some of the things that pre presents us or prevents us from changing our mind? Question. Could it be that we have become more comfortable with rituals, routines, and ceremonies than we are with progress? Could it be that we have found ourselves in a position that this is our comfort zone, this is our ritual, this is the routine, this is what we are used to, and it's like the old song that we used to sing hundreds of years ago, we basically sing, I shall not be moved. This is where I was planted. This is where I grew up. This is what I'm used to. This is what I'm comfortable with. And God forbid that I would have to change my way of thinking. See, there's another verse in Scripture that Paul gives us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says this, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now, let's correlate that with you and I when we come to Jesus. We come in what we call the new birth. We are babies in Christ. When I came to Jesus, even at 12 years of age, I, I didn't have a clue what life was about. I didn't have a clue what church was about. I didn't have a clue what the Bible was about. I was a baby. But as you know, and as Pastor brought Xander and Everett up here this morning, those babies, if they are functioning properly, will someday grow up. And the challenge that we have for us, friends, is this. Understanding the difference between growing old in the Lord and growing up in the Lord. But you see, when Paul says, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child. Do you remember your kids when they were little? Here's what happens when chi children speak. They speak about wanting and wishing. I want, I want, I want. Their vocabulary is limited to give me, give me, give me. As they get older and they mature and they develop in their life, they understand that it's not all about wanting and wishing. It's not all about give me. It's about what can I do to help others. 
a child also and their thought life most of the time they think pretty small remember your kids when they're making their fort they put these two chairs together and cover it up with a sheet and it couldn't take up much more than six feet of space but that was their world that's what they were thinking and they didn't think anybody could find them because they were in their fort and they play hide and go seek like this because if I can't see you, you can't see me, so therefore I'm hiding. Their world, their, their thought process is small. That's how children think. Put them in a car and go on a trip, and the first thing they ask, 500 feet from the front door, are we there yet? Mom, are we there yet? Because they think small. And their reasoning is if I didn't get caught by mom and dad, it's okay. That's their reasoning. When our son was quite little, we tried to restrict a lot of candy with our kids. We tried to, we, we, didn't, we didn't deprive them of candy, but, but we tried to regulate it. And so one day, and, and Nathan was, I don't know, he, he was quite young. How many? Two. One day, Barbara was cleaning, and she pulled the, the and you're going to laugh at me because I'm dating, the Davenport. <laughs> yeah, I know. Go ahead. Have, have your fun. She pulled the couch away from the wall, and there was this big stack of candy wrappers. And what Nathan was doing, I don't know where he was getting them, if people at church were giving them to him, but whatever he was doing, he would go in behind the Davenport and eat the candy. And if mom doesn't see me, and if dad doesn't see me, it's okay. Now, are you tracking with me this morning? When God calls us into the kingdom, we are babies. And we find ourselves at times talking like a baby, speaking like a baby, thinking like a baby, reasoning like a baby. But Paul said, when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. I stopped doing that. I stopped throwing temper tantrums. See, here's the application. We can change everything in our lives but if we don't change our mind, everything that we have experienced will perpetuate itself until we change our mind. I've had a lot of time to think about this. I've had a lot of time to apply it to my life and my past and my present and my future. And, and, and if, if you grab a hold of this, understand that if we, if we change everything about us, all we have changed are the externals. You can change the, the car you drive, the clothes you wear. You can change your hairstyle. You can change the type of toothpaste that you use. But the only thing that you have changed are the externals. If we haven't changed our mind. So in order to understand that, I think there's some things that, that really come to our mind that 
we need to think about changing how we think. Maybe we need to change how we think about ministry. Maybe we can't do it the same way we did it 30, 40, 50 years ago. See, the, the, the thing that, that, friends, I'm trying to help you understand is this. And the, the, the millennials and the Gen Xers is, is sitting there going, this don't mean anything to me. Because here's the thing. We find ourselves expecting people to react to our past experiences. And the millennials and the Gen Xers were not there when we had our past experiences. They weren't there when I was growing up and the experiences that I had. And so they're going, I don't know what you're talking about. But the beautiful thing is, is they are having their own experiences. And we are hearing testimony after testimony after testimony of, we just hung out with this person and had coffee with this person. And this person came to Jesus and this person got healed. And we were doing this and this and this. But it's a totally different experience than what I had. So I can't expect them to react to my experiences. So we may have to think about how we do ministry. Are we doing a church model or are we doing a kingdom model? We may have to think and rethink our attitude toward money. Doesn't belong to us. We're stewards. God's the owner. And you know something that I learned Something that I learned a long time ago. God doesn't need my money. Says, no, but every time, every Sunday we come, they pass the plate because the church needs it. No, honestly, the church doesn't need my money. Here's how it filters down. God wants my heart. If God gets my heart, he also gets my billfold. When he gets my billfold, he also has the opportunity to help develop the ministries of the church and the outreaches of the church and the great things this church has been doing for years. But it's not that God needs my money. He created the world without my money. He put the stars into place. He divided the Red Sea. He healed the sick and raised the dead without my money. He doesn't need it. But I need to give in an attitude of worship to him because of what he's done. Now, for some of us, that changes our way of thinking. I was holding off on this, but, but Holy Spirit says you need to say this because it's for somebody this morning. There are some of you here who have not yet made up your mind that this is the church that God wants you to be in. You have one foot in the pew and one foot in the parking lot. And it wouldn't take much to move that foot in the pew to the parking lot. You come, but you're reserved. You're, 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 you're reticent. You're kind of not, not sure, not sure. Can I ask you this? Go to God and ask him where he wants you to be. If it's here, get in with both feet. 
If it's here, do everything that you can with the family of God at Erie first. But, but you, you are no good to anyone with one foot in the pew and one in the parking lot. So if I've said that to you, I'm saying it in love, but I'm asking you this week to pray that God will show you that this is where he wants me to commit. I think that maybe we need to change our thinking about marriage. Just because you've been married for 40 years doesn't mean you're happy. Now, I know none of you are going to admit it right now, sitting by your spouses. You guys are sitting there just looking straight ahead. <laughs> saying, I'm hoping she doesn't look at me and say, honey, are you happy? Some of you even probably doing this. If I just pretend I'm worshiping, she's going to leave me alone and forget about it. Can you see what God is wanting to say to us today? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. And I believe that God is saying to you and I today, it's time we change our thinking. Not that it's time that we give in. Not that it's time that we lower our standards and loosen our morals and, and throw out our values. But God help us to be willing to be humble to change our way of thinking. And let's throw out this, I've always done it this way before. I was talking with some of our seniors back there before service, and, you know, I told them, I said, because they, they, they're my, you know, I got a little fan club, but they're back there. And, and I said, I don't expect you to do a Jim Salawada at that. By the way, was he doing David? Didn't David do that naked? <laughs> I don't know about Jim. He's a good guy. So I ask, I ask our seniors, I said, now I don't expect you to jump up and shout hallelujah and amen, but I said, can you do the wave for me? And when I get into preaching and I say something that's important, something that touches you, can, can you do the wave? And he said, well, it may take us a while. It just may, may take us, but... Hey, but those are some barriers in changing our mind. So why is there a need for a change? Well, I have another question. Do we want tradition or do we want to be effective? Do we want tradition or do we want to be effective? Nothing in our life will change until we change our minds. I believe that this morning God is saying to us, Church, Erie First Assembly, I'm not asking, the only thing I'm asking you to do is find out where I'm going and get on board with me. It's not about we're doing what we want to do and hope God blesses that. <clears throat> so when we look at this, why is there a need for change? Remember the story of when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt? Israel had been enslaved to Pharaoh for 430 years. And I'm about to share something with you that, <clears throat> that is very, very important. 
They had been enslaved to Pharaoh for 430 years. And God took them into the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason he took them into the wilderness, <clears throat> that even though they were freed physically, they were still enslaved mentally. Your mental freedom is more important than your physical freedom. I have friends and I know people who are in prisons today that are experiencing more freedom than some people in our churches today. Because although they are physically confined, physically incarcerated, mentally, they are free. Their thinking, their mind, their spirit, their heart, because they understood the scripture that he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So here Moses was, and God was around and around and around and around in a circle, and he refused to take them into Canaan because they were still mentally enslaved in Egypt. And usually what happens with us is this. Conditions determine conduct until interrupted by an external force. Conditions determine conduct until interrupted by an external force. I've seen this happen multiple times, unfortunately, as a result of sickness or death. I've seen people who have just been kind of, you know, just on the line, on the border, on the fence, and, and something happens in their family that, that shifts them back to God. Up until that point, conditions had been determining their conduct until an external force came on the scene and moved them back to be with God. So if we recognize the barriers and we understand the need for change, how do we do it? How do we go about it? Well, I'm glad you asked that because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says this. I think we have it on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, do not conform any longer, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be not conformed. And we are continually being conformed every day of our life. Every from Monday through Saturday and Sunday, we are being shaped and influenced and conditioned by things around us. But Paul is saying this, don't, be, don't allow those things to conform you but allow those things to break down and be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the way that comes about is this. The road to change starts with repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. means it's a resolve to change. It's hard work. It's hard work. And it's tiring. But I've found that as 
we go about change little by little by little by little. We are changing, 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 changing. I've found that it gets easier to do that. And I guess my prayer and I guess what God has placed into my heart this morning is this. At Erie First Assembly, we can only speak to our church. We, we are, have no responsibility for any other church in this community. But this church we do. And i got to tell you, I don't want to walk around in the wilderness for 40 years because I'm refusing to change my way of thinking. I believe that God has good things in store for us for the future. I believe that God is doing good things right now among many of our people. But it's a message that, that, the, that we need to get into our heart and our spirit. That God, this is, this is my church. I'm taking ownership. I'm buying in. I'm being committed. God, I'm changing my way of thinking. It's just, I'm just not going to call the church when I have to go to the hospital or somebody in my family dies. God, I'm going to be a part of what you're doing. I want to get on board with your plan. I want to be a part of that. And God, I'm tired of tradition. I want to see effectiveness. So it happens by the transforming of our mind. Now, here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. The best way to explain that is this. When we become a believer... Here at Erie First, we believe in the, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we ask forgiveness of our sin and ask Him to come into our heart and life, we receive the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't make sense to me, and I never thought about it this way till I was putting my sermon together. But when I ask Jesus into my heart, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a house where, where Jesus is dwelling. But when I ask him into my heart, does he leave his mind on the front porch? Huh. He brings it with him inside of me. So somewhere down in here, lying dormant, somewhere that is there, is the mind of Christ. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ within us. And even though our brain doesn't understand it, we must transfer the knowledge of Christ to our physical minds. And it's simple as this. We're 18 inches away from victory. From our heart to our head. And as we begin to ask God to show us and to reveal to us, because here's what it means when we have the mind of Christ in us. It means that we begin to see things as he would see them and respond as he would respond. Do we have to bring the WWJD bracelets back? Remember those? Everybody had a WWJD? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not being sacrilegious. I, I understand fads. And it's kind of what I sensed as that was going on is everybody had a, what would Jesus do? And after a while, they couldn't figure it out, so they just took their bracelets off. 
Do we, got to, do we have to bring those back again And re, as a reminder? What would Jesus do? I believe that if we have the mind of Christ, we will see things as he sees them and respond as he will respond. And it doesn't have to be magnificent or glorious. It's just, it's just an act of just an act of compassion, an act of service. And I, I didn't, my wife, I'm going to share this with you, and I need to let Barb know, I didn't do this last night just so I could use it as an illustration. But we're at the Greek fest. We went to the Greek fest last night. First time. First time. Baptisto, I don't know how to spell it. It, it was good. And we're going to stand in line to turn our tickets in. And the guy and his little daughter was behind me. And she said, Daddy, can we get some fried dough? Daddy, can we get some fried dough? I had two tickets. And I, I said, hey, are you on some fried dough? She goes, yeah. I said, here, get you some fried dough. Now, that's not like parting the Red Sea or raising the dead. But I just felt that this is what I ought to do. Two dollars. And so it, I walked away. It was no big deal, but I walked away feeling good that I gave the little girl two bucks to get her some fried dough. My wife ate so much of mine, I almost had to go back and get me another one. <laughs> it was good. So in, in bringing this to a conclusion this morning, the other thing that I want to share with you is this. We have to learn to separate our thoughts from our emotions. Do you realize that most of the things that you think about are driven by your emotions? If something happens that doesn't make you happy, it brings unhappy thoughts. If something happens that just doesn't set well with you, it brings unpleasant thoughts. If something happens that you don't agree with, it brings negative thoughts. And we have to be able to understand that it's, it's important for us to separate our thoughts from our emotions. There's times in, in raising our children when we did, oh, we could have killed them. We, we were right that close to being on murder's row. I mean, that's where our emotions were at. But yet, we loved our kids. And we wanted the best for them. And times that we've had, and I've had to confess this and ask repentance and, and, and ask forgiveness from them, but times when spanking was still, was still in vogue and we spanked, and, and parents, you're going to understand this, sometimes we spanked until we felt better. I mean, it didn't matter if they'd learned their lesson, but we, we just going to keep at it till we feel better. And when we feel good, then we stop. And there have been times I've had to set my boys down and say, I apologize. I'm asking you to forgive me because, because I spanked you excessively. I shouldn't have done that. What was I doing? I was allowing my emotions to control my thoughts. And friends, I, I know this seems simplistic and it seems basic, but I really believe that God has given us this message for future sermon series, for future things that pastor brings to this church, that when he says something or projects something or, 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 or gives something out as a possibility, don't, don't cut it off. Say, God, what, how are you wanting me to think? I, I need to think outside the box. How, how do you want me to think? Because... We're separating our thoughts from our emotions. And here's the thing. 
The most frightening thing about being wrong is not being wrong, but refusing to change. It's almost like a badge that we wear. Well, bless God, I'm wrong, and I'm proud of it. See, being wrong is, is not what's wrong. Being wrong and not willing to change is what's wrong. So can I leave you Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Can I ask you this week to prayerfully consider before God, God, here's something that I've been thinking about. Does it line up with, with the mind of Christ? It could be about the church. It could be about your ministry. It could be about your marriage. It could be about your money. It could be about whatever. But, but will, you, will you take that giant step with me and say, God, show me. And if I need to change the way that I think, then with God's help, I want to do that. Because here's the thing. We always use the butterfly as a metamorphosis and the cocoon and then the butterfly comes out and he's all pretty and flies away. But you know, when he's in the cocoon, he's just a worm. He's just a worm. But when he gets out of the cocoon, he has wings. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life as a worm. I want to have wings. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to say what God wants me to say. And in order to do that, I have to change the way that I think. So I'm asking you this morning, would you stand with me, please? And my, my challenge to you today is this. You are what you think. Get ready to change your mind. Father, as we come at the close of this message this morning, it's been very practical, but the applications that you've given to us, the importance that you've given to us, as we know it's obvious we live in an ever-changing world, but yet we serve a God that changes not. Jesus, you said you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, you said you are the I am, not the was, or, but you said I, you are the I am. So, Father, as we pray this morning, I believe that, that what I have said today has touched all of us in some way, in some form or fashion this morning. I believe you have given me a very practical message, and I'm praying by your Holy Spirit, will you come and rest upon us and, and, and show us and empower us in areas that we have to change our way of thinking. Because God, we don't want tradition and routine and ceremony. We want to be effective. We want to be effective. And Father, we know that, that, that many of us here have had past experiences and we've been guilty of living on our past experiences and expecting others to react to those past experiences like we have. But Father, I thank you for the generation that you're raising up that they don't, even, they don't even understand it. They don't even care if they're getting it right or wrong. They're just coming to Jesus. They're just hanging out with God. They're just touching the lives of their friends. And Father, I pray that that generation that comes up, Father, that you empower them and you put your arms of love around them and whatever it takes, God, may they sense and know that you love them very, very much. 
And now, Father, I just pray that this day will be blessed. Give each of us an opportunity as we share with family and friends to enjoy your presence and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, friends. Have a great day.